like hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in, uh, in coaching. Uh, and that is that we're very honest and open about this yeah. takes work. Like don't just show up right. and expecting like all of a sudden you're going to be like a creative forensic master. Like you got to get in the trenches. You got to put the systems to work. You got to consistently uh, be up leveling yourself until one point in time, things start to click. Nicole Espinosa and with the Short Cell Queen. And today I'm very excited um, to have my guest here today, um, Zachary Beach. He's with Wicked Smart. But I'm excited to bring Zachary on today because a lot of you guys struggle when you, you've told me personally through the channel and the podcast of really building the momentum and building your business. And so I want to bring on uh, Zachary today to really talk about his mindset. And he has a, a crazy story of, of where he's been able to come in today. So thank you so much for joining me today, Zachary. Yeah, Nicole, this is a long time coming. It is. Absolutely. I'm excited to, excited to spend some time with you here today. Yeah. So why don't, uh, for the people that don't know you, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? And then I, I have a lot of questions that I want to dive into today. Sure. Um, where do I begin? Uh, Zach Beach um, up here in Massachusetts. As you can, if you're watching this, uh, you'll, you'll see the wicked smart stuff everywhere. So you know exactly where I'm coming from. When Here's you, that accent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, when you hear how, how we uh, how we communicate here. Uh, but yeah, I'm the CEO, a smart real estate coach, uh, partner in an investment company uh, that I actually partnered with my my in-laws, my father-in-law, my brother-in-law. Uh, we have a processing company that we, you know, help process uh, payments for for our students when they when they do their deals, and that certainly has been the evolution of of many years. I was a bartender and personal trainer just a short eight years ago, and dealt with the ups and downs of uh, growing up with a, a single mother up until then, and and just only went to college because I was told I couldn't. Uh, so I was always that kid. I I like to tell people that I was a poor kid growing up in a rich town. So. That's kind of how I make a lot of my decisions. I'm always, uh, I always have a chip on my shoulder and I always feel like I always got something to prove. So that's kind of where things have, have led me to this point. And when I was a bartender, I, you know, eventually I got really burnt out. Uh, yeah. Bartender from about 21 to 24. And then I also personal trained every single morning. So it was like, you know, you, you would go to work all night and then you come home and I take a power nap and then I'd start training people at like 5am and then Another power nap, and then eventually I started uh, doing cold calling and got introduced to real estate investing. Uh, so I, I threw that on the docket for a little bit of time, and until I was ready to really make that leap, and I did that at 24 and haven't looked back since. So one thing that I resonate with is I was actually a bartender, and so I worked mm. in the restaurant industry, and I feel like there was definitely two types of people, right? And you know exactly what I'm talking about, where that hustle mentality of like you see the opportunity to create something, and then other people that were like, oh, I'm here. And, you know, it's a service industry. So I never really understood that because I'm like your tips and everything else is going to be affected, but it's definitely, I feel like a great gateway into entrepreneurship mm. because you really do control like the outcome. Right. And, and like that mindset. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. See, I actually think that we built our business because I have a family business too. I'm, I'm partnered with my father-in-law. So, um, you know, I, I think I've been very intentional about building our family business in spite of uh, the experience I had as being a bartender. Because although I had a good experience, I worked for a family company. They 
Okay. In Newport, Rhode Island, um, where we, me and my wife moved to and spent some time there for about, about 10 years, there, there's like one particular family that owns a, a lot of restaurants. And one of the main reasons why I decided to make a move, not only because I was burnt out, but because I also had like reached the pinnacle of where I could go in that bar or at that club, yeah. that two of them, because all of the head bartenders were all family. Like there was, there was no ability to leap. Uh, right. in any form or fashion. So uh, I, I get a lot of lessons learned from being in another person's family business that subconsciously, I think I've uh, intentionally then created this business to be different and be based more on performance. Yeah. I, I can't imagine working with family. Um, so I feel <laughs> like, I feel like that is a whole other dynamic and that could be like a whole other podcast of like yeah, your relationships. <laughs> yeah. But one thing that I do want to ask you that I love about your story is, you know, that transition and that mindset, because I think a lot of people can resonate with the idea of I'm getting into something that I have no clue what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I have no qualification. I love that you said a chip on your shoulder because I felt like that my entire career of like, I have something to prove like that limiting belief of like, who am I to do this? Right. Mm -hmm. Like as I pass this threshold into the next, you know, you know, accolade or the next thing that I achieve. So like, what was that for you to take that, that leap and what did it take? What did, what did it take for your mindset and for, you know, what were you thinking? Like, yeah, there's so much to unpack, be, unpack yeah. because, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm always hit with the imposter syndrome, um, no matter at every level in which I try to get to as, you know, if you're not, I'm a big, big believer. If you're not growing, you're dying. So, you know, whatever I built up to this point, I'm trying to build something even bigger or adding, you know, or larger every year. So it's okay. like, I'm always hitting against an imposter syndrome. So if you're feeling that way, I mean, it's super normal of anything. I'd be almost afraid that if you didn't feel it, um, I was listening to a podcast. Uh, Ed Milet was interviewing the um, gentleman from a million dollar listing. He's uh, his yep. wife's also Kyle Richard. I, I'm forgetting his name's not coming up. Mario, I believe is. Um, yeah, I know exactly what the podcast you're, you're talking about. <laughs> just listen to Ed it. <laughs> just listen to it uh, over the weekend. And he okay. talked about most people that are extremely successful operate of some sort of fear. And a lot of that fear could be, you could wrap it up as imposter syndrome as well. You're afraid that oh, they're going to be exposed of not knowing everything uh, and uh, and failing for it. Because really, at the end of the day, that's where, where that most of that comes from. But mm -hmm. I'll tell you, I have a bigger fear than that. And that bigger fear is that, you know, I won't achieve or become, you know, the, the best version of myself consistently. I, I, that's my biggest fear is that, you know, uh, MLN actually talks a lot about that as well, where it's. Uh, so it's in Les Brown, where it's like you're on your deathbed and all yeah. Les Brown explains as the ghosts coming to you saying like, oh, the potential that you could have potentially had. And uh, so that has been a major driver for me. You know, I've done a lot of personality tests and achieving, like reaching for achievements and things like that are, are, are certainly drivers for me. So when I was making that leap, I mean, I was the type of person too, that was listening to like Jim Rohn while I was setting up my bar. Like, so I'd have my iPods on. I was listening to music. I was right. listening to like Jim Rohn or Bob Proctor getting my mindset ready because I knew that bartending was just a, you know, I was just passing through right? in all reality. So uh, that leap, I would say mentally was easier for me because I knew that that wasn't my end all be all. Um, and, but by the end of the day, I mean, it was, it was probably one of the biggest risks I took because uh, as you were stating, I knew nothing about real estate. I was a bartender, a personal trainer. You know, I had, uh, I had no reason to tell me. I grew up with a single mom that, you know, money never made to the end of the week. I had no reason, 
you know, for, for my past history that tells me that I'm going to be successful in the next adventure that I do. So that leap was just more of like, I got nothing to lose at this point in time. So it's now it's really time to see if everyone else was right or everyone else was wrong. Uh, and I, I, I still believe that I, I asked that question to myself consistently each and every day. Um, so making that leap was was just no more than a, another another time to prove uh, to prove everyone else. I love that you said failing forward because that was my entire career. Mm. And I think that a lot of people, it stops them from taking action because they're so scared of failure. But I would not be who I am today without the failures because I learned so much on this journey where I'm like, oh, okay, I'm definitely not going to do that again. Or wow, that was that made me money. Like that was a success. And you're really just coming from experience every time, especially when you don't have the education or the qualifications or, you know, anything else that you would say. So when you first came in to real estate, what was the first thing you did? Like you got out of bartending and you were like, this is, where did you land? Uh, the sexiest thing in the whole wide world, cold calling. I did cold calling. There you go, guys. I talk about all the time right there. Two hours a day while I was still bartending. So I was bartending, I was personal training. I was building a small, like a small little business in an M&A company because I was a yeah. personal trainer. So I was in healthcare products. And then I was cold calling for about two hours a day. I did that for about four months. And then I made the official leap in April of 2015. Okay. And um, it still took me like another two or three months to get my first real estate deal done. But I knew I had to commit and go all in. Right. Um, if I was going to actually make this real estate thing work, because I needed to dedicate way more than two hours a day. If I saw this as being like a, a legitimate path in order to reach some success. So um, I don't recommend that to everyone that's got kids. You know, I was, I was 24 years old, which also makes it more challenging for most people to make a big leap like that is because as you be, as you, you know, come older in life, have family, actually make more money. You actually get more responsibilities. So it's really hard to make that leap. So I get it. And then, so I did that. And then I went from cold calling two hours a day to I was doing it about 50 to 60 hours a week. And your intention was wholesaling, right? Uh, no, creative financing. Creative financing right from the beginning. Okay. So at least so from, often, the, from the very beginning, you started oh, yeah. creative finance. That's why every time somebody always tells me, oh no, the pathway to creative financing is wholesaling. I said, no, no, no. You're like, no, I have my own path. And from like day one, this is what I was doing. Yeah, that is something that a wholesaling teacher taught you. And was yeah. really good at marketing and said, this is the path. You have to go through my program of wholesaling before you can start creative financing. No. Well, I was just going to say that I think the reason why people say that is because wholesaling is like the easiest and cheapest cost of entry, like into the real estate business, right? It's like that gateway. And so I think a lot of people, they kind of like just get their feet wet until they figure out. But that's very interesting because I've never heard of somebody just right out the gate going into creative finance because it's, it's, it's not a... Um, I guess, public strategy for people that are brand new, right? Like it's, it's, so what made you get into that? Yeah. Well, let me, let me make a comment on that uh, with the yeah. wholesaling stuff. because wholesaling can be very inexpensive yeah. if you want to spend lots of your own time. Right. The trade-off. Like looking for, like driving for dollars. This is my opinion, but that is, and I don't, I don't do that as a strategy. <laughs> that is probably one of the most time sucks I've ever seen where it's like, let me drive around and potentially look for houses of that somebody may want to sell to me. So very time intensive. But also, if you look at a wholesale deal versus a creative financing deal, there's no more moving parts. Actually, there's probably more moving parts in a wholesale deal because you're dealing with 
more parties involved. Right. When you do a creative finance deal, it's typically you, the investor, to the original seller, right, and then maybe an attorney or a title company. Yeah. That's the transaction, and then the backside is whoever you're going to exit. But so it's three people involved. Uh, so I just I've heard that a lot of times. Like also, it's no more complicated. The reason but it's why the mindset people, though, it's yeah. the mindset though, because you think about this, like reason why creative financing is harder for people to digest is you're right. Creative financing is way simpler, but people can't wrap their brains around that. This strategy is, is as simple as it is. And so I think that's why people have struggled with it. Most of the people that we train are brand new real estate investors. It's probably like 90 to 10. And it's easier to train a new real estate investor in creative financing than it is some of that season, because there's already paradigms that have been created from other, um, real estate industry or other real estate niches. So because I was naive and didn't know anything about real estate, period. Right. It was easier. <laughs> creative financing to me was like, well, why wouldn't it work? Just like right. I was 24. Most people always asked, hey, when you were 24 years old, how did you get people to sell you houses? I say, I, because I was naive to the fact that I was young. I, I don't know. I just thought if I could, that if you gave me the tools, I could go buy real estate. And eventually that happened quite often. Yeah. Um, I think it's like, like exactly what you're saying. It's the self-limiting beliefs that stop people from doing these things. Um, so I encourage you today, if you're listening to this today, like if you're going to put the time and effort into buying a piece of real estate, then don't, don't exit out of it so quick. You already spent like the hardest part of it was the acquisition and hardest now you part. get rid of it for like five grand. No, keep yeah. it, figure out a new way to, to stay in the game because then you can stack your deals and add them up. And that's how you can create longer term wealth. Um, versus, you know, trying to start another job, which is really what you're doing. You're really building yourself a really good job. No, I, I love that. So you get into creative finance and then yeah. you, so you got your deal the first couple months. And so when you were marketing, what was the transition from that? Like when you realize like, oh, wow, I'm creating momentum. Like I can do this. Yeah. The first deal I did was a subject to deal um, from a seller who uh, was going through a divorce. And it wasn't the best deal. Let me tell you why. So the first deal I get, so picture this too. So I'm the in-law, right? I'm the son-in-law. I'm entering into my father-in-law's real estate business. He just started uh, revamping his business. He got crushed in 2008. So he starts this creative financing business in order to dig himself out and then eventually see some success. So I come in and we're only getting paid like whatever you kill is what you eat. Like that's that's why like I got in, I just started cold calling because- I asked him what I could do. And he said, here's a list of numbers. Start making phone calls. I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I get in the deal. The deal, we end up buying it subject to, there's no money in it uh, for the seller. So we take it over right away. And then we go ahead and we do an inspection. The inspection's fine. But the seller says there's no knowledge of lead. So up here in the Northeast, a lot of houses were built. You know, like anything before the 1970s used lead paint. Um, well, it happened to be <laughs> that this property, we stick a tenant buyer in the house. So we, we sell on rent to own. That's how we maximize our, our profits on our deals. And this tenant buyer is a little out there. She ends up testing all the lead or testing a windowsill. It comes back and there's lead paint. So then we have to go ahead and do a $30,000 lead job. So picture this brand new real estate investing. Yeah. I'm like, I, <laughs> new to the business. I'm trying to prove myself. Yeah, I think it's a good deal, right? I'm like, I got a great deal. Yeah. Do it. $30,000 lead job. 
So luckily, and I recommend this for all new brand new real estate investors, go get credit lines because this is what saved the deal. So yeah. we ended up just utilizing credit line. Go ahead and uh, and uh, redo the, the D-led job. We get that done. Eventually, because we own this property long-term as a sub two, it ends up being like a $70,000 plus profit in like the next three or four years. Right. Um, but it was it was that ability to, to, to make that pivot. But at the end of the day, um, that deal could could have and probably would have most people crush their real estate dreams. They'd be like, this doesn't work. Right. Uh, look at the out. deals we're getting. That would cost me money. That was the that was my entry to, to real estate investing. And then from there, I just continued to build on the momentum because we knew we had to go do more real estate deals. And eventually we ended up doing about uh six to ten deals a month just between the, about four of us uh in the creative finance space. And we did that on a pretty good run for about you know five or six years. And then the coaching business at Smart Real Estate Coach started to take more of our attention away. And now we're you know, in 90 markets doing real estate deals with people across the country. Oh, wow. Well, I, it's funny because when you talk about that 30,000, the awesome thing about your strategy is that it's a long-term play. And so a lot of people, like you said, they just, they're thinking about that five to 10 grand. But now, even though that situation happened, you still ended up winning because it's a long-term play. Like you're able to gain that equity, um, especially as prices start increasing. And that's how you're yeah. really going to create wealth with your portfolio. What are, what does your portfolio look like now? Yeah, we do, We usually control roughly between 60 to $80 million worth of real estate. No big deal. If we were more intentional to just build our own portfolio and not do deals with students, it could be significantly bigger, significantly faster. Yeah. Uh, because if you... If you look at a, a real estate deal, right? I mean, in the Northeast, the, the median price is like 400,000. I mean, you don't have to control a lot of property to control 60 to 80 million. It's like on average, you know, 50 to 70 properties if you want to. Like, right. it's not that crazy. It's just where we've found ourselves to be in a very good small family company of managing a portfolio and then deals cash out and we bring new deals in, deals cash out. So it's been very manageable as we've been growing these other businesses. That's awesome. So you said that you partner with your students, which I think is a huge um, value, especially for people that are brand new because they don't know, you know, they need that, that support. So what does that look like for people that are listening as you're partnering with or JVing with your students? Yeah. So the way we've always set it up was uh, we want to help more people do real estate deals. Uh, and then if we could, you know, create the best of both worlds, which is Teach people how to do it, teach them how to grow and scale their business and their portfolio, and then we get to participate, uh, which makes it you know, a heck of a lot of fun. So the way it works is uh, we have our students, they come into our community, they get access to you know, group coaching, one-to-one -one coaching, masterminds, you name it. But what we also do is we stick a coach in their business. So that means that while the students actively prospect, you can bring a coach on your three-way phone calls with sellers, help wow. you in negotiation, all the way to structuring the contracts and the deals. We also make sure that you got an attorney in the area. So really help you build up that business. And then as you do deals, we help you put the deals into your portfolio. And then we just get a percentage of the revenue split. Going into your education. So for people that are listening that are like, Hey, this is something that I want to do. What does that look like? If they, they wanted to, to reach out to you, like, what is your structure? Like, what do you guys do for your education? Yeah, we have a couple different layers. So we have, of course, self-study where people can go through our, our course. If you choose it, we have an entire academy as well. Most people that come to us, uh, the major separator for us is our support, especially with helping people do deals. I mean, there's 
as you know now, Nicole, I mean, everyone, their mom's a coach, whether they did one deal or they did, you know, five, uh, they're all now coaches. Um, and then um, you have the opposite, which is you have people that are completely blowing up from social media. And the only way that they can actually service people is in a group coaching method. Um, right. As far as I'm really, so most people get, so then some people succeed, right? Like I would say people that are like really high self drivers can succeed in those environments. But right. it's the ones that are not that, that need the handholding, that yeah. fall through the cracks. So that's where we tend to pick up. A, most people come to us because they have that, that lack of support and they really need to consistently have somebody over their shoulder, especially in the creative financing space, because not everything is black and white. Most things in creative financing are gray, where it's like, right. yes, you have these options. And creative for a reason, out. right? Exactly. <laughs> and that probably stops most people, I'll tell you. We should call it something different because most people are like, oh, I'm not creative. I can't do creative financing. And it's like, it's just, you just got to ask different questions. So okay. for example, though, just going back to that sub two deal, like if I'm a wholesaler, that deal doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. If I'm a fix and flipper, that deal doesn't happen. There's no profit margins there. Yep. We bought it roughly for what he owed. It didn't have much equity in the deal. So we just bought for what he owed. We closed on it. And our plan was to do two things. One is we can manufacture equity because we're selling to a rent to own buyer. So they'll buy it at a higher price. Yep. But then also we're going to pay down the principal over time as well. So now you create a nice spread because we did it through creative financing. So just looking at that, it's like you just you miss out on some of the so many of those things because it's not like I only can buy your house at 60 cents on the dollar or this is my buy box, right? And I can buy it at between 60 and 70 cents on the dollar. And so that way I can go ahead and sell it to somebody that's willing to buy for 80. Uh, so just give you a lot more room. I think that's really key what you said, because I talk about a lot about this on my channel and in my podcast of constantly creating solutions for problems, right? And so that's that's all we are is we're solution providers. And you have found a niche that is creating a solution for where most investors are like, this doesn't make sense. And you went all in on this niche. And I think it's important for people listening to understand, like, you have to find that community. You have to find, you know, something that you can do, but understanding all of these options are super important um, because otherwise, like you said, it wouldn't have happened if, if you didn't know how to identify that. And a lot of investors don't, they're like, okay, it's not 70 cents of the dollar, or I can't flip it or whatever. Okay. Pass. Like, mm -hmm. no, like the hardest part is getting the deal. If you have someone that's willing to sell figure it out or get help, reach out to Zach or reach out to myself or reach out to somebody that can give you the tools and help you with it. Because I would rather JV with you than lose the deal. Right. And that should be the perspective. Well, yeah. And that's the way I look at everything. Just in general, I would rather own 10% of a hundred, you know, something worth a hundred million dollars than, uh, right. you know, one or a hundred percent of something that makes $10,000. So that's just how I always looked at things. But really, there's two things you got to identify in, in, in our space in real estate. And it could relate to others, but I'm not going to claim to be a, you know, a master in any of those other niches. Which is number one is you got to understand the motivation. Is, is the motivation strong enough for them to want to do a creative financing deal? And, and I say that because the motivation comes first and foremost. Like, why are they selling? Where they want to be? By when? And then once you've discovered that, and after you solve these problems over and over and over again, it becomes really easy to identify that. So that's the first thing you need to know. It's just like, why are they selling? Where do they need to go and buy when? That's it. Once you understand that, now let's talk about the finances on the piece of real estate. It's like, okay, what's the price? Is there a mortgage? Are they up to date on their mortgage? What's the monthly payment? What are the taxes? What are the insurance? Because once you understand those two pieces, 
then you can solve their problem. And the only time in which we don't, we can't solve somebody's problem for us is if they want retail price and they want all their cash now. Yeah. Anything else, as long as they're willing to wait for a majority of it or all of their equity, then of course we got to create a financing deal because now we can really help them establish maybe a better price or some monthly cash flow, handle a financial or a real estate challenge, and just do it in a different way. Um, but it just allows us to solve more problems than most other niches. So let me ask you a question because you said, you know, how big is their motivation? What what do you target as far as to find these motivated sellers? Is it like a, a wide net or are you very specific to a list, to a group of people that you're buying from or that you're marketing to? That's a fantastic question. We've probably done about 80 plus percent of our deals have come from expired listings. Wow. Yeah. So that's not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> that's crazy. That's the wide net. Why are expired listings good for creative financing? For two reasons. One is they've shown that they want to sell, right? When I look at competition, it's not like me versus the other investor. It's right. my solution versus the other solutions available to them. The traditional market is everyone's number one solution, or at least that's what they think. Right. So if you could take that off the table, now all of a sudden it's like, who else is going to buy it? It's like yeah. somebody like me or somebody like you. Now, right. it just dep now it depends on, do they want a cash sale, quick close at less of a price? which would probably go to a wholesaler or a fix a flipper or another investor that focuses on cash deals or something like us, where it's like, we can now buy it at a higher price for you, but you're going to take an installment. I love that. Do you ever come across people that are losing their house, like pre-foreclosures? Oh, of course. Especially in today's market, uh, catching somebody up on their arrears. Because uh, the way I, I, this was taught to me, I want to say this about Eddie Speed. It's like one of those, like, I, I go to plenty of these events too, because I want to learn from the, the OG. the OGs. Uh, so he said it something like this. And he said, there's people have two different problems. They either have a real estate problem or they have a financial problem. Mm -hmm. So when I look at buying properties like sub two or even some lease options, uh, they typically have a financial problem. It's like they're either behind on payments. They don't have equity. Uh, they could be behind on taxes. They're, they already bought another house and they can't afford two mortgages. Like they have a financial challenge. Right. Uh, so with that, then I'm like, okay, how do I solve that financial challenge? Uh, but then the other people, which are like debt-free, free and clear houses, have multiple homes, inheritance, they have a real estate problem, right? They now think of their piece of real estate as liability, especially right. like inheritance, right? It's like, now I got to pay the taxes. Now I got to figure out how to take care of this property. Yeah. I got to have the landscaper come over all the time. I got to make sure this property is, you know, in good condition. Right. Now they have a real estate problem. So now us coming in with a creative financing solution to like a debt-free free and clear house where they get monthly cash flow, like in their bank account every single month from a professional company, they don't have to worry about a huge tax liability day one. And all of a sudden we're solving a completely different challenge. That's awesome. I'm. It's crazy because I never even thought about it like that as far as the expired listings. I know as a realtor, um, you know, agents go after expired listings, but from the the play of okay, there are motivated because they they tried selling and failed, but like let me market it better instead of for you. You're like no, like I'm gonna just solve your problem right out the gate and get you a closer to retail return as opposed to like a low cash offer or just trying to put it on MLS again. When they're having the conversation, it's going to happen one or two ways. Either that seller is going to say, I'm going to go get a completely different realtor because I believe I'm right. And we're going to go try to list this price. Uh, and that realtor is going to agree to it because they want a listing. 
And right. they're going to put it up there. And then what's going to happen? They're going to keep dropping their price again because the market will eventually tell you what the price is. Right. Or they're going to take all the feedback that they received from the first time they were on the market. And then they're going to go do improvements. Now, and they're going to go dump more money into their house in order to try to get that price again. And who knows if the return on investment is good or not, but they want to sell it. Right. So that's their choice if they want to go traditionally. And if they don't, then it's what are they going to do? They're going to lit, they could either sell it to somebody like myself or they can rent it. And if they've never been a landlord before, that's usually not a fun thing to do because yeah. now they're renting it in order to kick the can down the road because that's somebody right. told them the market was going to be better in 12 months. So they're like, all right, let's just, let's just handle this challenge this way, place a tenant in the property. So I just, we just as real estate investor, real estate investors coming in to say, why don't we just make this officially done for you? And then we can bring certainty into your world and say, all right, well, let's just structure this deal now, even though it's, even say you're not going to get paid out for four or five years, you're allowed to move on with your life now. So we can just handle this uh, instead of now being in this kind of constant cycle of uncertainty. I love that. I, I love it because I'm learning something new. Like I would have not, I, I, when you said that, I was not thinking that that was going to be your response. So let me ask you a question. So you have a lot of students and I love asking other educators this question. What do you think the biggest reason most of the students, you know, either through your program or just through your experience on why they fail? Mm. Like why, why are they failing? Yeah, they fail because of the mindset. Um, let me put it this way too. And I just did a podcast on it. And I also spoke about our last event because I'm not in full transparency. I'm, you know, I'm the CEO now. I'm not, I'm not actually coaching anymore. I, I step in and get to have fun in certain environments, like our office visits. I'll like step in with a strategy session, but I'm not actively coaching. My father-in-law still is because he loves it, but not me personally. Um, but what I found is that most people have unrealistic expectations that do not match the amount of effort that needs to be actually put into place. And that's just not students. This is business owners, entrepreneurs. These are yep. most of us in general. And we've all been there at some point in time. It's not even like, like, I know that I have to look in the mirror sometimes and say, Zach, your goal is here and you're putting this much effort in. You can't feel bad about it. Like, right. You have a pity party right now. You got to level it up. So right. really what happens is you have this, you have your goals and then you have your effort and your effort has to match your goals. So what happens is students come in with unrealistic expectations that it's going to take less effort to reach their goal. And once they get in the trenches, they're like, oh my God, that's going to be way more work. And then they either can do one of two things. They can either lower their expectations for their goals and say, hey, I want to do 10 deals this year, but I'm realizing that like I... Based on the time I have right now to dedicate to this, I really should be aiming for maybe like two or three. I'm like, all right, good. Lower them. Now everyone, you're back to even keel and you're happy again. Right. Um, or they have to really level, raise the amount of effort they want to put into play in order to reach that goal. Because then again, they will be, they'll reach happiness again, because now they're on the same plane of what they want to accomplish. Because nothing creates more failure than unrealistic expectations. Uh, because then it creates unhappiness. It creates burnout. So, cause you're in, you're not in alignment and um, Patrick bet David talks that a lot about his book and uh, your next five moves. Uh, so that's uh, be a good book uh, to dive into too. If, if you're listening to this, you haven't read it. Uh, so that's what he talks about there as well, because that's your vision. Your vision is what you want to accomplish long-term. So right. you really have to make sure that you're setting the right expectations for yourself and putting the right amount of effort. Uh, cause as soon as that happens, then people burn out and then people don't see success. 
And then what happens, you and I both know, is now it's the it's the program's fault. It's not I was just gonna fault. say your program didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. In all reality, it probably costs us like hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in uh, in coaching. Uh, and that is that we're very honest and open about this yeah. takes work. Like, don't just show up right. and expecting like all of a sudden you're gonna be like a creative financing master. Like you gotta get in the trenches, you gotta put the systems to work, you gotta consistently. Uh, be up-leveling yourself until one point in time, things start to click. I love that. And I think a lot of that has to, and cause I, you hit the nail on the head, like a hundred percent. I think a lot of it has to do with social media. Mm-hmm. I think it has a lot to do with, you know, people only see the highlight reels. They see other people that are successful and their um, accolades and they're just their passion for what they're doing and the momentum they're creating. But what they don't see is the 50, 60 hours a week. And then they get into it and they're like, Hey, I I love how I'm excited to do this, but whoa, whoa, whoa. I have to be on the phones today. I I, I've got to, I got to do this. I got to do that. And I, I very much, uh, recently, uh, revamped my, my bootcamp because I'm the same way. I'm like, I don't want people to, I I don't want people's money if they're not going to commit to doing it. Because if I'm going to sit here and give you my time and all my secrets, I can give you everything I did like play by play and you don't apply it it's useless, right? Applied knowledge is, is useless if it's not applied. So I love that you said that because I totally agree. And I think a lot of it has to do is even people that are listening and watching when they hear how passionate you are and like how you clearly know what you're doing and what you've built, you know, people are going to be drawn to that, but understand like, Hey, it, it wasn't overnight right? Like it's been eight years developing what you've done and doing it every single day and showing up regardless of how you felt, regardless of, you know, whether you failed or not, you still showed up and did the work. And that's something that's completely underrated, I think. And there's there's a a missing piece as well. And that would be an an add-on would be, and you got to surround yourself with the right people. If you don't have the right team in place, none of this stuff happens. Like you can only go so far as an individual. Whether that comes in the the form of you're building a real estate team or a business and you're building a team, or you're making sure that you have the right peers around you consistently. I know you and I, Nicole, are the same mastermind. I always have to consistently have a a coach or an advisor in almost every aspect of my life that I'm trying to to grow in because I need that feedback in order to create that advancement more quickly is pulling on the reins of people that have already already been there Uh, because that is the, in my opinion, that is the, the shortcut to success mm-hmm. uh, is being able to take advantage of um, being at the feet of some people that have done some really successful things or making sure that you are in those rooms. So that way, when, like we talked about at the very beginning of the show, because when we show up into those rooms and everybody else is way ahead of us, now we get to be the people that are the students again. So that way, eventually we can step on stage and be the teacher. It's that consistent cycle. So it's almost a forced growth. Um, any, If you want to ever learn something fast, teach it. Isn't that the damn truth? <laughs> when I wrote my book, I was like, holy cow. Okay. <laughs> I was going through from start to finish. And it really required a level of accountability for me of dialing in my processes and taking what was here and putting it on paper. And that really helped me just be a better leader and a better, you know, teacher too, was because I was having to write it all down. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree. I love when we go to family mastermind and these masterminds, because I get to just be the student. I get to just soak in, you know, 
I'm done at this point in my career learning the hard way. And I'm in multiple masterminds because I would rather invest in being able to have these kind of conversations and be like, oh, you know, it might've taken you five seconds to tell me something, but it would have cost me thousands of dollars to try and learn, you know, on my own. Even worse, even worse than money and and time. And it's something that I still haven't fully grasped. It's like, I'm also something that would rather just, uh, you know, I, my old paradigm is just work, just, just right. do more of it. it yeah, just figure it out. But investing, investing the money into a, something that will give me back time or to speed up the process as the best thing, especially in the last 12 months, I've, I've really focused on that. And so anybody that's listening to this, it's like, if you want to be someplace, if you can put in the work mm-hmm. and, and uh, invest in yourself at the same time, that's how these things happen rather quickly. And when I say quickly, it's like, that's where all of a sudden, like your life is completely transformed in 36 months. Yeah. In five years. And it's because you put in the time, the effort, and you're willing to really uh, invest in yourself at the exact same time. Well, thank you so much for coming. I I really enjoyed our conversation. If um, the people that are watching and listening, how do they reach out to you? I'll, I'll put your contact information, but what's the best way to get a hold of your team? Yeah, we want to make sure you got access to our first Amazon bestselling book. So you get to hear a little bit of my story, but you'll hear some more of uh, my partner's story uh, as well in there. So if you're not resonating with a uh, a 32-year-old uh, real estate investor from Massachusetts. Maybe you'll resonate with a, uh, he's probably 58 now, Jesus. Uh, my uh, One of my first mentors and father-in-law, you'll, you'll really get uh, some great information from him as well. So go to wickedsmartbooks.com forward slash Nicole. That's wickedsmartbooks.com forward slash Nicole. And uh, we'll ship it to you for absolutely free. You don't got to pay a dime. Uh, we'll ship, out, ship that out to you. And then of course, if you're more... And to social, things like that, you can find everything at, at Smart Real Estate Coach uh, and dive into uh, that content as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. And um, I'm going to put all the links uh, in the show notes so you guys can easily uh, reach out to them. Um, and we'll see you guys next time.